Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski. I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, all from their homes. Claire Zauke, our healthcare director here at Citizen Action. Claire, it's great to have you. Great to be here. Thanks, Matt. Oh, Claire, your audio sounds beautiful this morning. Robert Craig, executive director, is with us. Robert, does your audio match Claire's from your home? Probably, as because we both have top-rate tech. So greetings to our digital <laughs> and our radio audience. Oh, this is just a way of saying congratulations, Brian Wildridge, our producer, who makes this podcast happen every week from our homes. And we are from our homes because COVID continues to just continue to grip this state. Um, Every week, the last month, we have been talking about new record numbers. And unfortunately, that is not different. We record Thursday morning and Wednesday uh, was horrific. We had 48 deaths, which is by far the largest single day uh, death total. And we had again over 42, uh, excuse me, 4,200 new infections. Uh, and uh, Claire, I want to kick this to you. You generally lead our discussion of this. But this is within the context of Republicans continuing. I want to get your thoughts on this within the broader health context. Just ignore this and uh, try to suggest, as Ron Johnson did, that we're bending the curve or and that government has no role in helping us with what is clearly the greatest crisis of our time. Claire? Thanks, Matt. Uh, I feel like I am running out of um, adjectives to describe um, just how horrific this seemingly never-ending spike in cases is going. And I, I think what I want to talk about this week is, because everybody knows, right? I mean, we all know how, how mind-bogglingly horrible and horrific it is that we had over 4,000 new cases in a single day um, on Wednesday the 21st, um, how we are approaching losing 50 people a day, which again is mind-bogglingly horrific. Um, And in the face of that, that we have Republican elected officials at both the state and federal level who would say things that are just so blatantly untrue, right? I mean, we have um, State Representative Joe Sanfilippo, who I think lives in uh, West Dallas, but represents um, some some Milwaukee's or um, Western suburbs into Waukesha County, I believe, uh, who is the chair of the Assembly Health Committee saying, there's nothing that we can be doing as the government. There's just nothing that the government can do. Um, and it makes me so enraged um, to that, that an elected official could look at the people dying around him and say, this isn't my responsibility. I'm just going to throw my hands up. There's nothing I can do. When we know that there are things that can slow the progress of this virus through the community um, because other people, other states, other countries are doing it, right? I mean, the state could be investing in contact tracing, in testing. Um, I mean, even just you know, even just not um, trying to be obstructive to the governor's efforts would be doing something positive. Uh, it, it makes me so mad. So I just want to compliment Representative Sanfilippo. You know, one of the challenges in politics is, is that politicians pretend they're for things like they'll say they're going to make health care 
more affordable and more available, which has been the Republican position as they attempt to take it away. And it's just refreshing when a politician simply speaks his mind and tells the voters, frankly, what the true position, not only his position, but of his entire party and the modern conservative ideology is. Obviously, as Claire is right, it's not only wrong and dangerous and is actually harming people, killing them. It also is out of step with at least 70% of, of, of the population. And so it, and what has to happen to remove this kind of malignant conservative from office, which is deadly, even more so in a pandemic, but all the time, frankly, uh, is to make it clear to the public who they are. So when someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. And now uh, we should thank him for his service and the voters should, uh, should retire him to run his uh, taxi cab company. I believe that's his business. I want to remind our listeners, we had his opponent on, Jessica Katzenmeyer, earlier on this show uh, a couple weeks ago, and feel free to go back and listen to that. But uh, Jessica was excellent. And if folks remember, healthcare is a huge issue for Jessica, and she is someone who will take an exact opposite approach, and Claire will actually understand that there's a, a role for government in tackling this pandemic. Um, Claire, I wanted to kick it back to you. Uh, also, not only that, Ron Johnson, right? This this idea that we've bent the curve and President Trump last night, I want to say it was, uh, at one of his rallies, continues to assert somehow that this is going to go away after election day. This is a guy who actually had COVID and then had the best treatment, you know, in medical uh, treatment that anyone could get and then continues to try to assert this false stuff. It's just, it's mind boggling. Yeah, I don't know how anybody could look at the the publicly available case data that sits on the De Wisconsin Department of Health Services website and look at that huge, monumental, seemingly never-ending skyscraper-shaped spike on the number of cases in Wisconsin and look at that and say, oh, that's flat. It, it is like literally the opposite of a spike, right? Like if you're an economics major, it's like the inverse of a natural monopoly cost curve. Um, if you are a little kid who likes playing with blocks, it is like a stack of Legos. I mean, like there are so many different ways that you could describe it. It is not flat, but flat is not one of them. And, you know, very early on, we talked about needing to flatten the curve so that um, hospital capacity would not be exceeded and that um, as a society and as a medical community, we could take care of people who got severely ill. And because of this huge spike now, the rate of hospitalizations are also increasing. And according to DHS's website, we are at 84.5% um, of hospital beds used and almost 87% of ICU beds used. So we are rapidly approaching the point at which um, we could exceed hospital capacity. And that's why in some places um, they have put up um, you know, sort of temporary um, hospital capacity, right? I mean, this happened at the Wisconsin State Fair um, facilities where they, they put in some temporary beds in anticipation of overflow from hospitals. So, so that, that facility has received that and that facility, Claire, has received its first patient yesterday. So yeah. it is it is now, uh, which is a sign, right, that in some areas we have hospitals now that are full and they need to send people uh, 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 to, to a facility like that. 
Yeah. So by any measure that you look at it, Matt, I mean, it is, again, just just a straight up falsehood and abdication of responsibility from our elected leaders. It's it's horrific. Uh, Robert, I wanted to get your comment on this because you you accurately honed in on the Republican Party and the modern conservative movement uh, and their approach to this. Uh, you have San Filippo saying there's nothing government can do. Uh, but yet it's very clear that that uh, there are people who are benefiting in this pandemic and the Republicans probably don't want to talk about that, but uh, there are, the billionaires are getting richer uh, during this pandemic. Uh, So tell us more. We're going to be releasing a report today that is going to demonstrate uh, this, this phenomenon where uh, the rich are getting richer and there are clear people who are benefiting from the pandemic. Well, yeah. And on, on Ron Johnson, just, a sentence here that is he's not being as honest as Representative San Filippo because San Filippo's just saying their belief government has no role. He's saying there isn't a problem, right? That everything's fine. Look the other way. And what do you do when an ideology that controls the whole political party actually has its own fact system that is false? I mean, that's why I call it proto-fascist. There aren't death camps yet, but the problem with fascism was it was a belief system that was completely fictional and villainized people, and there was no way around it unless you could defeat it because it would act on it on, on its bizarre theory of the world. And that's what we're seeing right now at a, at a lesser level than full fascism, but on the way to fascism. Uh, but yes, and what, it, what is it for? This ideology has been fomented by a small group of billionaires in this country so they can keep taking all the money. And when I say that, the RAND Corporation, not some radical source, has uh, did a report that fifth, if we had the same income inequality we had in the 70s, there'd be $50 trillion more in net worth in the middle class and working class and poor people than there is now because it's in the top 0.1%. And we're seeing this in the pandemic. This is how badly the economy is rigged. We are releasing a report today. It'll be out by the time you hear this podcast uh, with our partners, TAC, uh, the um, Americans for Tax Fairness, Healthcare for America Now, Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans, uh, that shows that the net worth of the billionaires in Wisconsin has increased 28% during the pandemic by $11 billion. And we list them out. They're John Menard, they're Diane Hendricks, they're the ones you've heard of and others that you've heard of. Uh, And by the way, the 11 billion is actually more than five times more the $2 billion revenue shortfall from the pandemic faced by state and state government in Wisconsin and local government, which the Republicans in Washington and Mitch McConnell are refusing to help with. And so literally these guys could still, and women, uh, could actually get, there are two women on the list, could actually um, have made $9 billion and pay for all of pandemic relief. In fact, they could give us, they could give us full contact tracing. They could give us full testing and still make out like bandits. And of course, they're not. In fact, they're probably sending the money overseas. And with that, we need to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We we're talking about COVID in the first segment, and it is 
a good transition, we need to talk about the fact that we are less than two weeks away from the election. Early voting has started uh, throughout the state. Please check with your local clerk or municipality there and find out what your hours are and when your times are. But um, it has happened, and we have uh, we've got we've got lines in a lot of areas um, because we either well one there's huge volume, which let's just say is is very exciting and very encouraging, uh, but three hour long lines in Green Bay, long lines in a lot of uh, cities, um, and. We want to encourage people to get involved. Um, we will be here at Citizen Action uh, in a few communities trying to see if we can't get some folks out to help uh, monitor these lines, help people if some of these lines get long. Um, and so uh, pay attention if you're in our areas. We'll, we'll have some more information uh, in coming days, but I uh, want to encourage people uh, who can to potentially get involved and be aware uh, that this is an issue. Uh, and part of this is because we have compressed our early voting period. Remember, we used to be able to vote for three weeks. And we have a lot of people who clearly want to go vote with COVID spiking that we just talked about. Spiking, we don't know, rising out of control. A lot of folks clearly uh, are more open to the idea of going in and voting early. Um, what I wanted to get, Robert, I wanted to at least kick it to you right away and get your comments. Um, there is a lot of concern uh, around what could happen at the polls on election day and mischief around uh, these polls with uh, some of the right wing folks and the, the uh, militia types. Uh, and I just wanted to get your, your comments because that's certainly been making news this week. Okay. Yes. You've all probably heard about this because this is the top story on NPR and therefore uh, the Wisconsin public radio stations uh, this morning. Uh, there's a, a report out that, um, the five states that have the biggest threat of militias uh, intervening around the election are Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Oregon. Uh, it is probably, if you think about these states, because it's not some of the states that you think of with militias, the places where there is sort of a clash between extreme right-wing opinion and rising progressive opinion. Uh, you can see that there's strong progressive opinion in all these states, but also a huge conservative movement in it. And like I said before, this militias have been allowed to continue to grow uh, Have when they are back to 1990, the largest cause of violence in the U.S., dwarfing anything, uh, uh, you know, any Islamic terrorist threat or anything from the left. The left, the, the, the stuff Trump is talking about with Antifa doesn't even register in the FBI reports. It's minuscule uh, compared to this. And they have developed their own worldview that is so paranoid that they see the defeat of Trump as the end of the world and will believe everything that Trump and Republicans are saying for their own benefit to say that, uh, that the election's being stolen. And so we need to tread very lightly and carefully, but we should not be afraid that gets them what they want. Uh, we're going to, we are working with other progressive groups as National Wisconsin is, and we'll have a very robust, peaceful response. And it is our opinion that if there are a lot of people involved in protecting the election and we are very peaceful, that they cannot win. Getting into conflicts with them, getting into, into their face is not helpful. Uh, think about John Lewis. Would John Lewis be a, a national hero 
if he had gotten in the face of the Alabama National Guard, right, or or pulled out his own baseball bat. No, he wouldn't. In fact, it wouldn't. The, what happened on the Edmund Pettus Bridge wouldn't even be a great movement in civil rights history. Same with Martin Luther King. And so we need to have the discipline to show who these people are because they're even more extreme than elected Republicans like Representative San Filippo or U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. And they, but they, they flourish partly because of the right-wing infrastructure and the interest of billionaires in fomenting the kind of hatred and opinion that allows them to keep rigging the economy in their direction for no one and for no one else's benefit. Um, and uh, because we don't uh, effectively, like the civil rights movement d- did, uh, show them for who they are and therefore so discredit them uh, that, they, that they have no sway. And in fact, obviously, in a new administration, the FBI needs to take this much more seriously. They have great reports, but really, we can't allow folks with guns to be running around threatening to, for example, kidnap, plotting to kidnap Michigan's governor and bring her to Wisconsin for trial. But again, please, uh, fear would be our enemy here. We simply need to have resolve. We need to be concerned about them, but we need to not let them take over our country. And a, and a, a large, peaceful, strategic response is the way to go. And please vote. You're doing their bidding if, if you don't vote. So we at Citizen Action, along with a number of partners throughout the state, are helping organize activities, definitely around Election Day and making sure that uh, we can provide support at the polling locations. And if there w- were any issues on this area, be able to intercede early. There's And this includes partners, some of our partners doing de-escalation training for for volunteers. So I want to encourage folks, we'll have a link uh, with the website uh, for how you can get involved and participate in that and get signed up. Also, again, want to give a heads up, if you live in Green Bay uh, in particular, um, there will be, we're going to be organizing something in the early vote period, similar to what we're going to have on election day, just because of the the long lines and the situation there. So uh, look for more on that. We may even have some later uh, this week around that. I think Robert did a good job laying out um, that that we are still in control and um, voting is your right. Voting is overall, um, you know, one of the safest activities you can participate in. And uh, I am so excited to see uh, how many people are engaging in early voting, whether it's by mail or um, in person. It's 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 warms my heart at a time when. Um, you know, things can seem kind of dark to see so many people passionately engaging in our democracy. Um, so, so keep going out there, um, you know, keep being safe when you do it, and uh, let's, let's bring this election home. Yeah, and I want to remind uh, everyone, we have well over a million ballots in um, nationwide. We're, well, we already have a third of what turnout was in 2016 in, in terms of early vote and absentee around the country in Wisconsin, uh, continues to be one of the states leading the way in that area. So I just want to underscore what Claire said. You know, we have a huge opportunity here uh, to use the next couple of weeks to get a lot of folks out to vote uh, where we could be in a position where we could be down to about 20, 30 percent left of uh, uh, voting on election day, which will help because we do know 
that it will be a challenge. Uh, a number of municipalities, are, they're working very hard to get poll workers in and we continue to support that. Uh, uh, that effort too, but uh, things are continuing to get worse. So we don't know what election day is gonna look like. So it's great uh, for folks to get out and vote early. And we should be encouraged, uh, polling continues to show, you know, Nash, both nationally and in the state that uh, there is a real opportunity here. And um, one of the things that uh, we have been working real hard here at Citizen Action is the opportunity that exists in the state legislative races here in Wisconsin. And just want to let our listeners know that that continues. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, polling and stuff that's going on, and there continues to be opportunity in spite of some of the gerrymanders. And so uh, we have spent a lot of time talking to state legislative uh, candidates on this podcast. We're going to continue to do that uh, in the next segment. We're going to be joined uh, very in the next segment by one of those candidates uh, that's a surprise, and we may be able to beat one of the gerrymanders, and that is in the suburban Racine area, and we'll be joined by August Schutz later in this show, right after uh, the next break. So before we go to break, Robert... We need a quick update. We're going to talk a lot more about this after the elections. We're going to dive deeper, and we're probably going to have Isaiah Holmes on again from the Wisconsin Examiner. But, Robert, Wauwatosa, update. Yeah, the curfew has ended. National Guard has been demobilized. But there remain tremendous questions about the Wauwatosa police and their attitude towards peaceful protesters. There were rubber bullets, there were, uh, there, there were also citizens people being taken by people in camouflage for, for no reason, the police lying about, thing, about what was going on that was caught on tape, taking cameras away from people, et cetera. And they put out the city peaceful protest guidelines that seem to outlaw half of the peaceful protests. And yes, police have a role and the city in preventing crime. They do not have a role in deciding whether protest is at all disruptive because protest tries to get attention. And it is a fundamental civil right in the First Amendment. And so there's a lot of questions, a lot of thinking that needs to be done in Wauwatosa and all sorts of places around this state and around the country. And of course, folks, we'll continue to talk about this. It is uh, absolutely critical. Uh, but with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are really fortunate to have a candidate, another candidate. We've been having tons of them. Candidate running for office, again, State Assembly. And this is a huge opportunity this candidate has to pick up a seat that was gerrymandered. Uh, to try and not be uh, in play, but it is. And we're fortunate to be joined by August Schutz. August is running again in Assembly District 62. August, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, we're really excited. Uh, This is quite an opportunity that you have put into play. Tell us more about your campaign, why you're running, and maybe a little bit about this district. Yeah, totally. Um, So the 62nd encompasses the the communities of Norway, Raymond, Caledonia, Wind Points, North Bay, and a odd area of Racine. It was uh, kind of jut out because Senator Van Wangard lives there. And so in order to keep his Senate district with redistricting, they decided to um, 
cut around it and put his home in my district. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about the district. The reason I got into the campaign was back in April with the spring election getting moved back or with the governor trying to move the spring election back because clearly we weren't prepared to have one. Um, and the Republicans trying to basically um, keep it on the same date to use it for their advantage. And so I didn't like that. I thought, you know, why are we having an election during the midst of a pandemic when we're not prepared? And so I reached out to both our uh, assembly rep, which is uh, Representative Bob Wicke, and then our state senator, Van Wangard, and neither of them answered. Neither of them were able to talk about it for over a week. And I thought, you know, with what's going on in the state and the country, the fact that you're not gonna you're gonna make these decisions and not own up to it as to why, or at least give a somewhat of an explanation, I thought that was embarrassing as an elected official that you're just not gonna be there for your citizens in times of need. And so I looked around and tried to find someone to run in the race, and no one was. Uh, it's been gerrymanders for the last ten years, so there really there's only been a candidate in 2012 and 2018. And so with that, I kind of just decided to uh, throw my name in the ring and here we are today. And so we're, uh, we're definitely making progress. Um, there's, our district is pretty interesting. We have uh, I-94 kind of down the middle. And so you, that separates the communities in Norway and Raymond, which are more conservative. And then Caledonia, which is a battleground along with wind points. And then uh, Racine is usually safe blue. So it's, it's a mixture of city and rural areas. And so um, we're just trying to get everyone that's been affected by COVID and try to get everyone that actually wants to see represents quality representation from their leaders. And so that's why that's why I'm here today. Claire. Thanks, August. Um, I, I really appreciate that you saw a problem in your community and put yourself forward as a leader to try to um, address that issue and sort of fill this void of leadership that you saw in your community. Uh, I imagine that part of the part of that is talking to folks in your community uh, voters about sort of what their what their needs are. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about what you're hearing from voters that they want their state representative to uh, focus on in Madison and with a particular focus on if there's anything healthcare related because that, that's sort of my jam. Yeah, totally. Um, so I think one thing with short term, people are really worried about COVID-19. Uh, they've seen where we are as a state. I mean, you look at the states that are having surges in cases right now, and it's the Dakotas and Wisconsin. And both of those or all three of those cases uh, it's either the legislature or the governor hasn't done anything to try to curb the curb the spread of COVID nineteen, and so I think people are people are tired of that. People want to go back to normal life. They want to have their kids go back to school. They want to go back to work, working in the office, and the way that the Republican legislature, I saw um, Representative San Filippo said, um, you know, too bad, we're uh, there's nothing we can do, and so. I think people people are really tired of that, and especially seeing that they're taking our tax dollars and trying to take this to court is another ridiculous thing. People just want this to be over with, and we're trying, and we're trying to help, and there's no uh, there's no response on the other side. Um, when it comes to healthcare, people are people do want the Medicaid expansion. Um, it's definitely something that most Wisconsinites want, and the fact that they're kind of holding this hostage when it's money that we've already paid for. Uh, I just don't understand. And so I think we need to implement that. I think that's another big thing when it comes to healthcare. Um, and then 
Another top issue that I would say is education in our district. Uh, we have Racine Unified School System, and Racine Unified is probably, it's one of the lowest underfunded. Um, the students don't have the necessary needs that they, um, or the needs, they don't have the necessary resources to succeed. And we're starting to see kind of a gap between our city schools and Racine and Milwaukee compared to the schools out of Waukesha and Brookfield. And people are tired of that. People, people want their kids to have a quality education so they can succeed in life. And that's not, that's kind of not what is happening so much in our district and the Milwaukee area as well. Glad to hear you talk about education equality. I think that is a huge issue. Uh, my question is, we're not only seeing a legislature, it, it's been the least active of full-time legislatures, right, in the, during this pandemic. Yep. Uh, it has undermined Governor Evers both legally through a very partisan state Supreme Court and as far as simply the public following public health directives, and that's been a small percent, a, a, a subset of the public, but it endangers everyone. Uh, and it, so it's amazing. They promised the state Supreme Court they would have their own plan. No plan was forthcoming. They're not holding hearings. They're not meeting. And we've seen tremendous honesty. We saw the chair of the health committee uh, for this assembly caucus that your opponent is part of uh, say it wasn't the role of government uh, to deal with the pandemic and that masks Masks make no difference. So just counterfactual. I did compliment him earlier for at least being honest about their views and not pretending. Uh, but then again, he still should be thrown in some office. So my question is, you're looking at a nice suburban, urban, rural kind of spectrum. You almost sounds like the district reflects Wisconsin in many ways, right? All within one district. Yeah. And the question is, do people, regardless of, of where they stand in partisan terms, think it is the government's role to respond to a national emergency like a pandemic and do everything possible to protect people, both in terms of the virus and in terms of the economic impact. If you have to close businesses, you have to support the businesses. If you have, if you have to, and you have to support all the people who, who, who lose their jobs uh, so that they don't lose their homes, lose their apartments, etc. So I want to see what do you think the sense is of what the role of government is? Because it seems like the caucus you're running against, because most of these people just vote the party line, right, including uh, the person you're running against, uh, has a radical view of government that's out of step even with most Republican voters. Well, I'll get your thoughts on that. I, I think uh, one of the things that government is designed to do is to protect the well-being of the citizens uh, that they're representing. And I think that it, it is, I mean, this is a public health crisis. There's over 200 it's almost 220,000 Americans dead from this virus. And there's a lot of, I think that we can place blame partially on the state level, but we also have to look at the federal level as well. Uh, I think the failed federal level has been, has hurt many. It's kind of escalated downwards. If the federal level would have provided some more assistance to small businesses and kind of help them out rather than just saying, oh, we're going to wipe our hands clean with that and let you guys deal with it. Now the state level is debating on when to open things back up or to have capacity limits. And so you're leaving like bar and restaurant owners and other small business owners worrying about whether if they can put a meal on their table for their family or keeping people safe. And so I think that, uh, I think that it is definitely the role of the, the government to help, um, 
help with this public crisis and make sure that people aren't aren't getting sick that don't need to be or that don't um, that shouldn't be. August, we are less than two weeks from the election. Uh, you are, by all accounts, uh, have a have a real great shot to win this seat. How can folks get involved? How can they help you? What what are you going to need down the stretch to make this happen? And this would be super exciting, as Robert said, to have you win in a district that is a beautiful slice in many ways of all the different kinds of communities. So how can we help? Uh, definitely, I need phone bankers. Uh, our campaign is, yeah, we need that um, just to try and reach as many voters as possible. I think that would be a great way. Um, so if anyone wants to, and we're also, uh, we're probably going to do a lit drop sometime this next week. We're getting um, assistance from the party, uh, all the candidates with door hangers. And so if someone, if people want to come help lit drop uh, with me, I, when that happens, either sometime next week um, or this weekend. And then also, yeah, volunteers for phone banking. And I think those are the two ways that we're going to get the name out. We're going to get recognition and we're going to actually win this district for the first time since it was gerrymandered. So. We really appreciate it, August. We really appreciate you running and taking the time to join us. Please, folks, help them out if you've got time. Uh, you can phone bank from anywhere in the state. So follow up and help August out. Thanks so much, August, for, for joining us and, again, for, for taking up the challenge and, and, and running for state legislature. Thank you so much for having me on today, guys. And with that, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the director and producer of the amazing documentary film, Can You Hear Us Now?, which talks about exactly the challenge that August has taken up. Uh, talks about the gerrymandering in our state, the voter suppression, and what happens when voices are suppressed. We'll be very excited to uh, talk to them on the back end of these commercials. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are super thrilled to be joined by both the director and producer of very exciting documentary film, Can You Hear Us Now? So we are joined by Susan Peters, who is the producer, and Jim Crickey, the director. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having us. So for folks who don't know, we're going to be screening their film on Wednesday night, that's the 28th, uh, online, and at 6 p.m., and so we really want folks to join us. Uh, why don't you, uh, Susan, tell us a little bit more about the film and why uh, this is such a critically important film for, for Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, we think it's a critically important film well beyond Wisconsin, but um, uh, I think that it, it will really resonate in Wisconsin because it takes place in Wisconsin. Um, but it's, it's having a lot of impact outside of the state for people who aren't as um, deeply aware of what's been happening here over the past decade. So um, it's um, a documentary film um, following several folks who were running for office in 2018 um, and um, goes into kind of the, the background about why their races were difficult, why the, the challenges that they had on issues that they were dealing with um, were uh, important issues um, because of the kinds of legislation that had been passed over the previous decade. So um, it does go into a lot of policy issues and a lot of the kind of recent political history in Wisconsin, but it's really a, a personal story 
and I think that's where we think that it's um, it's really having resonance and we're glad that people can see it right now because right now there's so many in Wisconsin so many folks that you've been highlighting every week on your podcast who are running in these districts that are gerrymandered that are difficult and this just really shows what they're up against and why it's really exciting that they are continuing to run and that they're having a huge impact. Uh, I, I'm really excited to to see this film. I think it's going to be inspiring and also a little bit heartbreaking, which, you know, like you put those things together, and you just have a beautiful film, right? Uh, but I'm curious, what what drew you to this story? Um, you know, why Wisconsin? Why gerrymandering? Why candidates? I imagine as filmmakers, there are, are so many stories you could tell that would be compelling. So um, what, what brought you to this one? Uh, I'm not from Wisconsin, and, but had known about its long progressive history, uh, I started coming to Wisconsin in 2010, so at the beginning of the Walker administration, and had seen over the next eight years the dramatic changes that had taken place. And we had made a film in 2017 in Wisconsin uh, that looked at the dairy industry, and when 2018 came around, we wanted to make another film. And we weren't sure exactly what it was going to be, but we sort of pieced it together as we went. Uh, we wanted to look at some of the changes in Wisconsin over the last eight years and how it was affecting people. And we, over the period of a few months um, in the fall of 2018, assembled this amazing group of people, sort of one by one, you know, why they were running for office, who they were, what they were dealing with, and what they were pushing back against. And, and I would say what was kind of fun about it, and Jim's a very good judge of character, <laughs> but was that, um, and you'll see this when you see the film, um, that they weren't, they, they were really um, not traditional um, people that you would expect to be running. And I don't mean that in any kind of demographic way. I just mean in terms of their sense of um, why they were running and what was happening in their communities. And it was really eye-opening for us. Um, but there's a lot that didn't end up in it. There's a lot. There's a lot going on in Wisconsin. We spent a lot of time at Foxconn, and, it, and that was supposed to be a yeah. huge part of the movie. And it, that's not in the film. Couldn't fit it. Uh, Robert. So I, I want to compliment you. It's a very well produced and effective documentary, and I'm an admirer of the art form of documentary filmmaking. And the beauty of documentary filmmaking is it has huge impact on society effective films do. And I think it's because you can have all the facts you want, like how bad the districts are. But it's narratives and stories which lead to a broader social narrative that helps change our view of society. And it's very weird. You have, we get caught up, conventional wisdom builds up where there are ways of doing things that are obviously unethical that have gone on, you know, since the early 18th century. And therefore, they're just normal, that it's normal for politicians to choose uh, their voters, not the other way around, uh, that it's fine for political parties to do that for some reason. Uh, when democracy, the, the one person, one vote is the most sacred right, you would think. The person we just had on and um, it, it, we're having on the podcast today, who was running for state assembly, says the district jutted out into Racine to capture the state senator's house. Well, where on God's green earth do you have a right to be a, a U.S. A state senator 
and to have districts distorted where voters live and who they relate to uh, affected by where you choose to live. This is supposed to be a citizen legislature, and it's actually supposed to turn over the way uh, the system was set up. It was not supposed to be a permanent career. And so I just want to get your thoughts as this, this obviously isn't your first documentary, is how an effective film like this can reach a larger audience and therefore impact not only social change, but things like we expect the state legislature to try to reimpose one election, the 2010 elections maps, onto the next 10 years and to go around the governor. And the only thing that can stop that is an informed and engaged public opinion to stop them like the repeal of the Affordable Care Act was stopped when the people who want to do it, conservative Republicans had all the power and still couldn't do it. If the public is engaged enough and it's clear enough to them, you can't act even if you have the power to act. So I just want to get your thoughts on the role of documentary filmmaking and, and therefore what this film could do. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that there are a lot of documentaries that come out with a really clear call to action, like, hey, watch this movie and go and do this one thing. This is not that movie. This is a much longer, um, longer vision of trying to, to have people understand how our democracy is working right now. And um, that it's gonna take a lot of work and a lot of long-term planning and engagement to try and change that. Um, one of the things um, I think I talked to Matt about is we've you know, been in some conversations where people are saying, hey, just have a referendum and Wisconsin can change its, its legislative maps we know that that's not the case. It's a really protracted process and there are a lot of different ways to do it. So we see this film as, as being part of, you know, an educational um, process for communities and for people to think about their own communities and how to change their representation in their communities. And it covers a lot of ground. Um, so it's, it's not just about maps, but it's about um, civic engagement and um, and and democracy on a with a kind of long term view. So we we are doing community screenings, um, like the one that we're doing with um, uh, Citizen Action of Wisconsin, which is really exciting. It's a you know perfect um, audience to really understand this and think about how to get it out further. Um, but we will be doing things well beyond. I mean, this isn't a November third film. This is a 2021, 2022, 20, you know, et it's a, it's a long-term film. So we have a lot of plans with other organizations around the country who are seeing Wisconsin as sort of a cautionary tale. Um, there are a lot of states that are looking at Wisconsin and saying, we don't want that to happen to us. And we wanna make sure that they're able to see what has happened in Wisconsin and how Wisconsin got where it is. Um, so that's also a big part of the story, as sad as that may sound. Well, I like the answer that you're doing something deeper than one call to action or one election. So it sounds like you're trying to make clear that there is actually not only a threat to democracy that's abstract, but that there are states where it's actually happened. And we all need to learn from that in order not only to fix Wisconsin to prevent democracy from losing even more ground nationally. And that, but that comes through stories and through a medium, movies, that is much more engaging to people than long articles or dry podcasts, et cetera. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think, so I think on, in Wisconsin, um, it's really what's happened here over the past decade. I mean, all the people who are on this call are following things really closely. It's really hard to keep track of what's been happening in Wisconsin. It's, it, it's really happening really fast and hard to keep track of. So I think that documentary is a really good way to help people process what's been happening in the news that they can't quite grasp that's passing by so quickly. So that's another piece of it for here in Wisconsin. And, and for anybody who, who is not from Wisconsin who sees the film, I think it draws their attention, uh, draws the viewer's attention to how important state politics are, how, how your life can be changed, you know, locally, it's not, it's not federal, it's not in the Congress or, you know, so, mm -hmm. so much can happen at the state level. And I think uh, people forget that. Well, we unfortunately have to wrap up this show. We want to thank you both for joining us and want to encourage our listeners, please, uh, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central Time, uh, we'll, we'll have the whole film. Uh, both Jim and Susan will be with us uh, to do a Q&A afterwards. Robert's going to emcee that. We'll also be joined potentially by some folks who are in the movie, but also we're going to have Emily Segrist, one of our co-op mm -hmm. members who's running in a gerrymandered seat, uh, talk about what it's like uh, to run and how, you know, basically what it's like to be that person uh, who's in, who's sort of uh, in this film. So I uh, want to thank you both for joining us uh, so much. Thanks, Matt. Thank, thanks for having us. Looking forward to next week. All right, folks, okay. we will have to wrap this up. Again, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes this happen every week. Also want to thank August Schutz, who joined us. Uh, and again, folks, uh, Wednesday, 6 p.m., join us for Can You Hear Us Now? We got to go. We'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>